Okay, I would invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, as we're going to focus, of course, on the, on the Christmas story this morning. So I want to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, verse 20. Starting in verse 1, God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. And now Joseph also went up from Galilee, to, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him, and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and stood near them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in, cloth, in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angel had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, while the Lord has made, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby, and he was lay, and he was, and, and, as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen him, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed about the things which we told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and seen just has been told to them. Father, I now ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Lord, as we spend a few moments on a story that is very familiar to us, it is the story of your birth, the story where you left your place in heaven and became such as us ourselves, born into this world as a child, born through a woman, born under the law, just as we too have been. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would indeed illuminate this text, illuminate our hearts so that we can understand and also apply. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've simply titled this, this message this morning, Message from the Manger. And the message from the manger is a, uh, uh, is a good example of a verse that, a uh, well-known verse that is probably, I would assume, seared on many of our minds as Christian people. It's, it's seared onto our minds when we memorize early on and that is found in Romans, 
uh, 8 and the 28th verse, which goes like this, and, and we know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love Him, love God, and those who are called according to His purpose. There's a couple things that we, we notice in this verse right off the bat, and that is that, that everything starts with God. God causes everything to work together for good, for all, no, for those who love God, that's one condition, for those who love God, and the second is for those who uh, has been chosen by God for a purpose according to a purpose. And one thing that we see in this verse and all through Scripture, and we're going to certainly see it within this story here that is before us this morning, and that is that everything is about God. Everything is about God. Everything starts with God, and everything stays there. And this Christmas story is no different. This Christmas story, we hear it and we take it in so many different ways, but first and foremost, we must understand that this is a story, not one that we can change or adjust or adapt to how we want to see it, but it is a story about God. And so this Christmas season, as we think about Christmas, and how many sermons can you preach on Christmas and, and, and be a bit different? And this Christmas, I want to focus upon the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. And I have four applications or four ways or, 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 or things, if you will, where we see God's sovereignty over this Christmas story here this morning. And the first thing I want you to notice is, is how this story begins, according to Luke. How the story begins according to Luke, and that is the sovereignty of God over rulers. The sovereignty of God over rulers. Luke starts this story with, uh, uh, now in these days, or in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the ruler, that a census must be taken of all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, why do you think that Luke recorded that for us? Do we really need to know that little piece of information? I don't know that that we do, but, but Luke certainly thought it was important for us to know about that. And he also get, get introduced to this, this guy uh, uh, who was heading up the census, right, and that they were supposed to go and take a census. And what was the significance of all this? Well, I think before we can really get into that, we need to look a little bit at the story of the backstory, if you will, of Mary and Joseph. And let's think about the situation that Mary and Joseph found themselves in. They were, in essence, uh, living in Nazareth, and they were, they were told they have to go to Bethlehem because that's where they had to go register. That's where they had to go register for the census because that's where the husband, that's where the man was from. He was from Bethlehem, and that's where his family was, and so he had to go there. And the thing about Bethlehem is uh, we think we can just jump in a car, right, and drive there, but it's 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And we often will see these pictures, these nice Christmas pictures of Mary is riding on a donkey or a horse, right? And Joseph is, is dutifully leading her along. But there is nowhere in any of Scripture that we get an idea or that tells us anywhere that Mary was actually riding on a donkey. Some say, well, it was a mode of transportation. Without a doubt, it was. But we also look at the beginning of the story, and we look at the life of Joseph and Mary. They were probably not from the caliber, from the class of people that had a lot of livestock such as that to ride upon. So I highly doubt that they, she rode on a donkey at all, and yet she walked. Now, I don't know about you. How long would it take for you to walk from here to the Bay Bridge? 
That's about 90 miles, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, give or take a mile or two. Or here to the Bay Bridge Tunnel or whatever, that, down there. How long would it take for you to walk? I, in my hiking days, when I'd done a lot of hiking, I used to plan my hikes for 20-mile for days. Eh, sometimes I would do 25 miles. Uh, but nonetheless, she's got three to four days, four days max, or minimum, to walk from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. It was interesting when I was doing a little map search on this. You could calibrate it. How long would it take in a car? How long would it take on foot? And how long would it take on a bike? And so that interested me. And it takes a little over nine hours, according to this app, to ride your bike from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so my mind instantly went, I know I could do it in five hours, right? I'm pretty sure I could do it in five hours. Uh, but anyways, the point is, it was a long journey that they had to take, that they had to take. Another thing that we notice about Mary and Joseph is the obvious, right, that they were not married. We see this word betrothed, and we often think of an engagement. Engagement is, 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 is not the right way to think about it because basically betrothed means that you were married, but the marriage had not yet been consummated, and yet for you to get out of that that agreement, out of that engagement in our, in our language, it would have been a, it, it would have been a divorce. That, that was the only way that they could separate. And also, if you can imagine, here they're traveling down these dusty roads in herds and groups of people, and uh, uh, we understand the story of how Mary and Joseph came about to be a couple with child. I want to, for just a brief moment, look at how Matthew recorded this. In, in Matthew's gospel, he comes at the story from a different angle. He's seeing it through a different prism, if you will, and he's looking at it from a different perspective. And he doesn't give us some of the background uh, that, that, that Luke gives us, but he tells us this in Matthew chapter 1, that a dream that, that, that Joseph, uh, an angel appeared to Joseph, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. I mean, think about them. They were real people. This was a real situation. I mean, this is the condition that they, who is going to believe a story such as that? And yet this is where Joseph and Mary find themselves in this scenario. And they got to go back to their hometown. And they got to go back and travel with the crowds of people from the kids they grew up with possibly, knowing that this is the story that is hanging over them. This is the context in which Luke starts out his gospel. There was no mailing in their census. There was no texting it in. There was no emailing it in. There was no asking for an absentee ballot. There was no asking for an extension. There were no exceptions. You are going. I'm sure if social media would have been around in those days, that it would have, they would have shared their thoughts and opinions on social media, and I'm sure it would have been done in very colorful language. I mean, if there was ever a reason to be disgruntled with your rulers, 
It was Mary and Joseph, what they were being asked of in this case. This is the sovereignty of God over rulers. And yet God, knowing how it all needed to transpire, used rulers to make it happen. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, right? We know this. And give to God the things that belong to God. If there's one message from the manger that we can learn this Christmas season, it is this, that God is indeed sovereign over all rulers. If we like them or not, God is fulfilling his purpose through our rulers. And rulers will not in any way mess up God's plan. Actually, in converse of that, it is God who works through the rulers to fulfill his plan. We see the sovereignty of God through the rulers here in this Christmas story. Second thing I want you to notice, and that is that God is sovereign over time, the sovereignty of God over time. We see as we continue through this story that we are told in verse 6 that when they were there, the time came better translated that the days were completed for her to give birth. The days were completed for Mary to give birth, for her to give a child. And Matthew, he cites uh, Micah, and uh, when Micah, when the prophets are asking there of Micah, where is this child going to be born? So I can too go and worship this child. And, 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 and Matthew cites Micah there that Bethlehem from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people. And this message from the manger not only is of God sovereign over rulers, but he's also sovereign over this time. In Romans chapter 5, or, Romans, or Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, we're reminded of the fullness of time also and how God is sovereign over time, where it says there that when the right time came, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus had the DNA of Matt of Mary, and he was born under the law, just as we too are. At just the right time, Christ died for us, is what, the, what, what Paul writes. And so we may think sometimes time is slow, sometimes time is fast. We may think sometimes we can elongate time if you eat this way or drink that way or don't do this or don't do that. And yet we must understand, for every single person, God has an allowed set of time. There's a beginning and there is an end. And everything that happens within that time is orchestrated and ordained by God. We see that right here, that Mary, when the time came, gave birth right where the prophets of old said she would give birth, although she was not from Bethlehem at all. So we see the sovereignty of God over time. We also see the sovereignty of God over circumstances, over circumstances. What was Mary promised? Think about this. Mary was promised in the first chapter of Luke that greetings favored one. The Lord is with you. Well, that's a, a nice promise that this angel spoke to Mary. But what did Mary actually experience? What Mary experienced is, is that she would give birth in a barn. She would give birth and lay her child in a manger. Think about this. That is like us traveling to another place, and you're not giving birth in the hotel room. You're giving birth in the parking garage. 
I'm favored? I'm the favored one of God? God, this is not my interpretation of being favored. Mary was promised that your son will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That's what Mary was promised. What did Mary experience? She experienced her newborn wrapped in strips of cloth and laid in a feeding trough because there was nowhere else to lay her child. Jesus was born in a stable, not in a palace. Jesus was laid in a feeding trough for animals, not in a fancy bassinet. I I, I was reminded, thinking about these terms, what grandbaby, you know this is going to be a grandchild story, right? I got a grandson on the way, so you'll hear more. They'll be updated, no worries. Um, But we went to Georgia, and we visited uh, our our daughter and our son-in-law, and we visited the nursery. We visited Addie's room. And everything was perfect. My daughter's a perfectionist. Everything is organized very well and and, and systematically. And the nursery was spotless and perfect. And we thought, wow, as grandparents, we felt good about that. Here's a place that is provided for our granddaughter. I mean, our daughter is a reader, and she had bookshelves already with books on the shelves that she's going to be reading to this. And she had it all mapped and planned out a great place for Addie to come home from the hospital too. In, in, in the Netflix series, I'm not sure if you've watched um, The Crown, uh, Netflix, I know it's probably old or whatever, I don't know. It's been some time ago. Uh, uh, but, but there's a scene in there, and, and it talks about the importance of the mystery of royalty, the mystery of the crown. And they're saying, hey, why can't we relate more with the people? And they say, no, we can't do that because there there has to be a mystery that goes with the crown. Because without the mystery, the crown loses its power. Without imagination, the crown loses its power. And the thought process goes like this. As boys and as girls, if you have a nice new scarf, if you have a nice new tie, and you leave your, 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 your shack of a home, and you go out, you can just imagine this new item that you have. And you, for a moment, you can, you can think that you're in a sense of royalty. It lifts you out of your poverty as you allow your imagination to grow that you too maybe could live and be in a family of royalty. And so the whole point and the whole purpose of living separate in a mysterious way from the people is to give them a sense of imagination to pull them up from the poverty that they find themselves in. That's the imagination. But the reality is what? The Bible tells us that, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was from royalty, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that through his poverty you might become rich. And God did not spare his own son, but gave his son up on our behalf. It's totally opposite of the imaginative world. This is the reality of it. And the story of Abraham and Isaac, we have the story of Abraham and Isaac where where Abraham takes his son Isaac up the mountain. You're familiar with the story, right? God spares Abraham's son, Isaac. God does not spare his own son. And I might add that God gave his son over, not for an opportunity, not just in case, but 
God gave his son over specifically for those who would believe upon him in this holiday season. It can be a stressful time amidst all the joys. It can be a time of reminiscing. It can be a time of remembering those who may have offended us, remembering those who maybe we have offended. It may be a time where we can think about things such as, but you don't know what she did. You don't know what he said, right? We can have all those times. We can be so petty sometimes. But for the Christian, for the Christian, forgiveness and reconciliation is the only choice that Christians can have. Why? Because we live in reality. We live in reality, and we believe upon a baby who was born in a manger over 2,000 years ago who left his life of perfection and gave it on our behalf. How can we do anything other than that? But let's come back to our Christmas story. Let's come back to the narrative here in Luke chapter 2. And let's just imagine just a little bit. Here we have, uh, as, as we continue through this story, that there was, there was no room in the inn. There was no room in the inn for Mary to be born, there was, or the, for the baby to be born. There was no room there for them. What are we supposed to think about that? If we think about who Mary was, who Jesus was, who Joseph was, was this innkeeper? Was the keeper of this inn, was he a cruel person? Was the innkeeper an inconsiderate person? Was the innkeeper uh, someone who just didn't care? Well, we're not even told about the innkeeper actually from the story, but he often comes into our narrative. But there is something to be thought about the innkeeper. And that is the innkeeper, why was there no room? Because the inn, the innkeeper, everything was just so overrun with too many travelers. The room was filled. The life was full. And it's part of the Christmas story that we relate, is it not? We think of Jesus in the manger. But, but I wonder, I wonder if there's not a bigger picture here. And it's maybe a picture of many, many today. There are hearts who never recognize Jesus. Why? Because they're not good people? Because they hate Jesus? No, of course not. But maybe they never recognize Jesus simply because their life is just too full. They literally just do not have time for Jesus. They're so overrun with everything else that needs to be done. Too much stuff, too much wealth, too much honor, too much prestige, too much work, too much sports, too much of something that crowds out Jesus. I think in the innkeeper, we can see a picture of ourselves that often our life simply does not have time or room for Jesus. It's a picture of Luke chapter 8, just a couple chapters later from our birth narrative here. And in Luke chapter 8, we have the story of the sower and the seed. The seed being the word of God, and we're told that the sower went along and he sowed his seed, and, and some of it fell on rocky paths, some of it fell on hard paths, some of it fell on good soil, some of it fell off to the wayside, and the one that fell off the wayside, it sprung up, but it was choked out by what? By worries, by cares. Let me read it for you in chapter 8, verse 14. And the seed which fell among the thorns, Jesus says, these are the ones who heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries and riches and pleasures of life. And this brings, a prawn, a, 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 brings no fruit 
there in their life. I, I wonder uh, sometimes if that's maybe where we find ourselves, not realizing that God is sovereign over our circumstances also. This is often some of the, the preaching that we hear in our churches. It's very pragmatic in a way that, that doesn't say to, to declutter our life, but tells us how to prioritize our life so that we indeed can have it all. This is why we've got devotionals that you may find in your stocking at home. Ten minutes with Jesus. Not ways to declutter and unfold and unhitch from some of the busyness of life, but ways that we can fit more into it. People have good intentions, but our lives are just so full and just so cluttered. And so I wonder... Do you have time for Jesus? Is life so busy that you don't have time uh, for Jesus? This is a week before Christmas. Christmas is obviously a week away. And this next week, I'm sure, will be very busy. But I would ask, take some time for Jesus. Take some time this week to reflect upon what's cluttering up our lives that are maybe choking out Jesus. That's the sovereignty of God over our circumstances that we must acknowledge that he has and rest in that. But lastly, there's also the sovereignty of God over proclamation. Over proclamation, we see it as he comes to the shepherds in this story. And he gives the message to the shepherds. The good news was was not given to royalty. The good news was not first given to the scribes and the Pharisees and those who were in charge with the word. The, 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 The message, the good news of the birth of Jesus was first given to the least among them, the shepherds. They must have thought, can smelly, stinky shepherds even be trusted to carry out this good news? We see God's sovereignty over the message by whom he chooses to give it to. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God doesn't function the way that we do. In Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55, he writes there, A very practical example from nature. It says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth. We can see that. God says, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts than your thoughts. A comparison from the nature. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout. And providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without accomplishing and succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. We understand from nature that as the nature, as as the rains and the snows, they water the earth. We understand how seed and how grains sprout out from that. And God is saying, so is my word. What's he saying? He is saying that just as the rain accomplishes its purpose, as his word goes out, it too will accomplish his purpose. God is sovereign over his message and over the message. Paul cites Psalm 19, verse 4 in Romans, where he says that their voice has gone out to all the earth, 
in their words to the ends of the earth, the ends of the world. This is the message that brings great hope for all and lifts all the anxieties that all Christian testimony can bring with it. If how can we witness or how can we preach or what can we say to convince this person of the message? This verse, when you look at this message from the manger, this message from Isaiah, gives great hope and great relief to the evangelist, to the missionary, to the preacher, knowing that God is sovereign over its message. And as the earth is watered by the rain, and it brings forth whatever it was designated to do, so will the message. God is sovereign over his message. But God is not sovereign over just his message. He's also sovereign over rulers. He's sovereign over time. And he's sovereign over all our circumstances. That's the message from the manger. We say Jesus is the reason for the season. That's not a tagline. That's not a marketing ploy. The message from the manger is loud and clear. The message from the great I am is I am the only reason for the season, or I am no reason for the season. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says that I am Yahweh in my name, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another. Now listen, I will not give my glory to another, nor will I give my praise to idols. This is not a season to have split focus. This is a season to have a singular focus, a season to be focused upon one and one alone, in Christ alone, in Christ alone. This is the message. This is the message from the manger that God is sovereign over time. God is sovereign over his message. God is sovereign over all our circumstances. God is sovereign over all his rulers, and he proves it in the most innocent, in the most insignificant, in the most humble way, and that is by sending his son, his son to be as we ourselves were, born into this world, born through a woman, born under the law, born into those things, and it is through that that he accomplished his purpose. And so this Christmas season, I don't know where you'll find yourself, what situations you find yourself in, but just know and rest assured that God is God, and God is in control. He's brought it about, he's ordained it, and he will bring it to its completion. Lord, I pray Lord, I pray that we never lose sense of the foolishness of what we believe. I pray, Lord, that we go into a very busy time of the year and we conflate so many different ideas into one that you would help us not to, to lose the, the reason for this season indeed. I pray, Lord, that as we go into this holiday season, as we go into a time of celebration, as we go into a time of reunions with family and friends, festive times, Lord, may they be great times. May they be times and experiences that, that lift our lives, that lift our, 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 our spirits, that restore our love for humanity, 
that it would be a time that we lay aside our differences and that we unite around one. And there's that quiet, soft, powerful message from the manger. That is that, Lord, you will accomplish all things. I pray, Lord, that as we come out of our Christmas season, as we come out of this time, that we would be carriers, that we'd be those who send the message of good news, not doom and gloom, knowing that you're in control of the rulers, you're in control of our leaders, you're in control of our time, you're in control of our circumstances, you're in control of it all. We give you thanks. I pray, Lord, that we would have time this week that we could just reflect upon the Christmas story as we quiet our hearts and our minds and we expectantly wait to hear from you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.